0: Today's guest, Josia Tamira Crosley, reached out to me many months ago when she heard about my prep school and she contacted me and said, I would love to talk with you. I think we have a lot in common and we could probably support each other. And I responded to that with, okay, let's get together on a call and find out more about each other. And the moment that we connected, it was clear that we were supposed to work together that even though we do things that are on the surface completely different, there's actually a lot of underlying commonality in that we both rely on how the human body is actually designed and trusting the body's wisdom rather than turning to external sources for answers. She works in a healing mode. I work with self-defense. But there's so much that we have in common. And when I spoke with her, I talked to her about the fact that there's not a lot of information for women who have gone through experiences of violence or trauma on how to deal with the aftermath. And dealing with the aftermath is something that she works with a lot. I think you will find a lot to think about in our conversation and probably some great ideas that you can take into your own life and some hope for things that you may be able to do if you have suffered any kind of trauma or abuse. So here she is, Josiah Tamira Crossley. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head-on and shines the light on what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jolicoeur Rude.
0: Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur Rude. And today I am absolutely thrilled to bring on the show an amazing woman that I know you're going to love hearing from, Josea Tamira Crossley. Josea has over 18 years of study and experience working in the field of holistic health. Her work is grounded in somatic therapy. Attachment theory, healing sexual trauma, visionary craniosacral therapy, and somato emotional release. She's also done shamanic studies, grief tending, holistic nutrition, and yoga. She's an amazing healer, leader, and entrepreneur with experience and specific training in working with healing sexual trauma, developmental and attachment trauma, and Somatization and chronic pain. When I was looking at her website, I found an amazing quote that I want to share as part of the introduction because I really think that it captures the essence of what she does. She says, Your body is an amazing gift, but it can feel like a burden when we are holding unprocessed grief or trauma, or when we haven't learned how to navigate the emotions, so they become locked into the body as pain or numbness. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Josea. Well, thank you so much,
1: Cynthia. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here with you today.
0: Well, I remember that when we first connected through our mutual friend, Coach Megan Neely, that we really hit it off and we had a wonderful initial conversation. And I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast ever since, because it was absolutely clear when we first spoke that you were somebody that needed to be on the show.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was so great to to find you because when I saw, I think I'd reached out to you at first because I saw what you were doing, the work you're doing with women and just so resonated with the need for it. And I think that, yeah, you know, the work that both of us are doing to you know, in a sense, really help women to be able to feel safer in this crazy world, right? And so I just really, really honor the the value of, of what you're doing with women. And I'm so, so excited to be here with you on your podcast finally today.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you did reach out because honestly, I had run across one other person who did somatic therapy, but you do so much in addition to that, that I have never even heard of. And it was really mind blowing to realize how much I didn't know, and how incredibly therapeutic these kinds of modes, this kind of work can be for people who have suffered. And that's really why I wanted to bring you on. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So before we dive into the nitty gritty stuff, I like to do some quick questions to kind of get us in the groove and feeling relaxed and in the flow. So are you ready for that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I know that you used to surf and I'm curious, do you still do that? And also, what is your favorite form of exercise or movement now?
1: Yeah, I love that you're asking me that question because I've actually, I haven't actually surfed for gosh, probably like maybe 15 years and because that was my i i surfed every day for a few years in my early 20s and would spend the winters in the mountains uh snowboarding and just since being a mom you know i haven't been able to make space for that as much and my son is actually turning 12 this week and i've just been thinking about getting back into surfing and i lo- i do love it so much there's such a incredible feeling when you're just out on the ocean you know in the waves and yeah, it's really fun. (laughs) And I think, yeah, fun is so important, especially when, you know, you're doing the kind of work that I'm doing, you know, diving into the the depths with people and, and, you know, with myself on my own journey still, it's so important to have fun, to have things that really resource us in that way. But right now I live on Salt Spring Island and there's, there's no waves like really close by. So yeah, I would say my favorite thing to do I still love getting in the ocean. (laughs) I like to run through the forest. So I do like barefoot. I have barefoot shoes and I like to run and then get in the ocean, just immerse myself. Even in the winter, it's so amazing. So revitalizing and it's such a great way to just clear your energy and feels amazing in the body afterwards. So that's one of my favorite things.
0: Good heavens, you're a badass. it's all I can do some days to do my contrast shower where I get in and I, I go from hot water to cold water. And that's, you know, here in Northern California, which is not exactly the frigid North. So the hats off to you girl for getting out there and running barefoot running even, and then lunging into the polar water. Yeah.
1: I do think that if more people knew how amazing it felt, they would be doing it too. Cause it's really incredible, a really incredible feeling when you, you know, it's hard to get in, but when you get out, wow, you feel so alive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to carry that picture of you running through the forest and, and diving into the gold ocean with me as my sort of iconic Josia picture. <laughs> okay. So what is your most important self-care practice? Mm,
1: yeah, that's such a great question. Hmm. Yeah, I would say there's a few that are really, really key. You know, the way we start our day is so key, a morning practice, especially, yeah, well, maybe not especially, I was going to say, especially when you have a child. I have a a son who's about to turn 12 and he, you know, to be able to meet him when he gets up in the morning with like a, a, a space in myself, spaciousness, you know, having done my practice already is really just, I think, such a gift to both of us. And so when I first get up in the morning, I make my cup of tea and then I go and sit outside and. That's a practice that comes from the Eight Shields Deep Nature Connection work and basically just sitting outside with just open awareness of, you know, the birds, noticing what the birds are up to and, uh, you know, just being with nature is really, really important to me. And I find that it just gives me a sense of feeling connected for my whole day. You know, I think especially when we're doing healing work and you know diving into the the deeper realms with people it's really important to be connected to nature because nature is the ultimate healer <laughs> I, I believe and yeah and then i i have a you know an embodiment practice that i do most mornings as well movement that's based in vijnana yoga and also the Hanna somatics work and that feels really really important to me as well to just spend a few minutes just getting into my body every morning and sometimes before bed as well but i would say actually the most important self-care practice and i really recommend everyone to do this cuz it's so it's so simple and it's so easy but it's actually really challenging especially when we're sort of well in the way that our society programs us to be, right? Go, go, go. Serve, serve, serve. Especially as women, we're always supposed to be serving everyone else. The practice of pausing throughout the day, just even if it's like one minute, just pausing and doing nothing. Maybe it's stepping outside for a moment and just breathing. Maybe it's just pausing and closing our eyes for You know, sixty seconds or even thirty seconds—it's such a powerful practice because it gives us a touch point for, you know, if our nervous system is in go mode, for us to just come down for a moment and pause. It's such a beautiful practice to, you know, really rewire our system to rest and to pausing and to, um, you know, not needing to always be in this in this go mode. So that's been a really important one for me.
0: Oh, I can really resonate with both of those. I, I love the idea of being out in nature first thing in the morning. And that's something that I didn't used to be able to do. But where I live now up in the Sierra Foothills, it's how I start every single day is outside mm. with my dogs and my horses and whatever the weather happens to be. So I, I love that. And then that concept of the pause is one that I think I've had the desire to develop as a consistent practice but i haven't been very good at actually doing that because the only way i can think to actually remember to do that is to like set an alarm in my phone and i just sort of innately hate the idea of having to set an alarm for taking a moment to basically pause and check in and come down so yeah i think i better reprioritize that because i i do like that and it is one that really calls to me so thank you for both of those those are great
1: Totally. Yeah. It's such a big, like, it seems so small, you know, the practice of pausing, but it's actually, it's actually huge. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I always say to people too, and, and uh, my teacher, John Young, you know, from the Eight Shields Institute, he, he talks about, you know, we don't need to necessarily be on Salt Spring Island or, you know, out in the wild to be able to be in nature because, you know, there's birds everywhere. Even if you're in the city, if you have a balcony, you know, that you can get out onto and, and just sit and, attuning to the birds actually helps to bring our nervous system into a more restful state. So it's, it's, uh, it's available to all of us, you know, no matter where we are really
0: more or less. <laughs> yeah. Mm, that's great. So what is the most transformational retreat that you've been part of?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of retreats, both facilitated and, and been you know, a student of, I love being a student. (laughs) It's definitely the best. (laughs) Yeah. I would say when my son was about three or four years old and I had the opportunity to be in retreat with my longtime mentor who I still work with. Her and I actually, we co-facilitate a women's retreat on Hornby Island every summer now, Elizabeth Claire Burr and I. And um, so I started working it with her when my son was pretty little. And I remember when I was pregnant, I just had this incredible experience of feeling so beautiful in my body. And it was new to me to feel that because I think from a background of trauma, I'd been pretty disembodied and had a pretty hard time feeling good in my body, even though I did yoga and, you know, had practices to get me into my body. There was definitely still a disconnection with you know, really loving my body and something about being pregnant. I just really loved being pregnant and loved my body at that time. And then when I had my son, I kind of lost that for a period of time. It's, it's intense having a new baby. You know, you're not sleeping and you're pretty exhausted and it's this whole new experience. <laughs> and, um, and so I remember feeling just really tired and, and kind of disconnected from my body again at that time. And when I went to this retreat, which was a it was a restorative Vijnana yoga retreat with Elizabeth and two of of her longtime colleagues, Sylvan and Leslie. And I remember stepping out of the retreats after being in these, you know, just slow, quiet, deep practices. and I remember stepping outside into the forest and just feeling so. Like grounded in my body, grounded and present and beautiful. I felt beautiful in my body again. And that moment, I, I don't think I'll forget that moment ever because it was a real shift for me, in my experience of having a body.
0: <laughs> mm, that's really powerful. And I think that experience of feeling beautiful and grounded and at home and at ease in your body is one that I wish every woman actually had. I know that many of us don't.
1: Yeah, exactly. Me too. I mean, that's why I, I think that's why I do the work that I do now, because I know that we can all have that, you know, no matter what we're coming from, it's totally possible. And I just, yeah, really passionate about helping, helping people, especially women, come back into their body in that, in that way and getting to know the body as a place that is home, you know, and that feels good, which it often doesn't when we're coming from a trauma background you know the body when we haven't learned how to navigate the emotions like you read earlier from my website that yeah it's it, when we haven't learned how to navigate the emotions and are holding unprocessed grief or trauma in the body it can really feel like a burden it can feel like you know our body can feel painful it can feel numb it can be like we don't even want to go there but you know when we can start to learn how to find the places in our body that feel maybe just even okay and connect with those places more and then slowly expand them And we can start to we can start to really love our bodies and feel beautiful in them again. I think it's possible for
0: anybody. Mm, That's great. Well, we're going to dive into that in just a minute. I have one more quick question for you, and then we're going to go into more about your work. Sounds great. So what advice would you give to young women today that you wish that you'd had when you were in your 20s? Hmm, Wow. Yeah. Well,
1: I I think Cynthia, I mean, we're in such an incredible time for young women, because, you know, with the whole Me Too movement having happened, or it's happening, you know, still really, and um, women are waking up to, you know, the fact that our bodies actually belong to us, you know, and that that we we don't have to just allow, you know, society to dictate or, you know, uh, people who are in power dictate what, what happens to bodies. We don't have to just allow those things to happen to us anymore. And so, I think that's something that's already really different than when I was a young woman, when I was a teenager in my 20s, even. But, you know, still, I think that if I had known in my 20s how important, especially in my early 20s, how important it is to really listen to our bodies because. We're living in a society where, you know, our medical system and, you know, really all of society basically tells us we should look to the experts. We should listen to the experts, you know, whether it's a doctor or a holistic nutritionist or a naturopath or a, you know, somebody who's has this certain diet that's supposed to be healing everyone. <laughs> that was really something that I wish that I had known in my twenties was that, you know, there, nobody can tell you from the outside, nobody can tell you what your body needs like you are the expert in what your body needs and in order to be able to hear that information we have to learn how to li- how to listen how to tune in to the guidance you know the wisdom that is in the body because you know the body in somatic therapy we see the body as the holder of all memory and information so that's both historic and also current, what's happening now. And it's also both traumatic memory and also neutral and also wisdom. You know, the body actually holds wisdom. The body knows. And so to learn how to listen to that and even just to, you know, if you're listening to me and you're like, I have no idea how I would ever do that. Be curious. Be curious about what your body might be, might be saying because it is the expert. Your body is the expert on what you need, not just, you know, nutritionally or, you know, medically, but also emotionally. You know, our body is constantly guiding us to, you know, oh, that's right for me or that's not right for me. So learning how to listen, listen to that and discern those messages is is so, so key. I wish I'd known that sooner.
0: (laughs) That's a great message. And that's a great example of why you and I really clicked when we first spoke to each other, because that's the flip side of what I do, which is listen to your body. We're wired. We're designed to be able to protect ourselves. We don't need to look to some external source for that safety. We have that ability within us. And it's just another aspect of what you were just talking about, which is really learning to listen to and appreciate and honor what we already are and know and can do. I love that. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I get total chills even just hearing you say that, you know, because that's so important in terms of, yeah, keeping ourselves safe, for example, right? As being able to listen to what is the body telling me, you know, I just was listening to, to Oprah has done all these different talks on her super soul Sunday about, about that thing. Right. And, you know, the biggest thing she says is listen to your intuition. You got to listen to your intuition because it knows, right. And your intuition I think is in the body.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, on your website, you, you say that you were in a lot of pain, both physically and emotionally, by the time you reached adulthood. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what your journey to healing that pain has been like? Mm, yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I don't think when I was really young, like when I was 18, 19, um, I wasn't really aware of it. You know, I was kind of having fun surfing, snowboarding. But maybe around when I was 20, 21, and I started to kind of have some of my first relationships. I was a slow bloomer (laughs) in terms of relationships with men and, um, or a late bloomer, I guess you say. And uh, yeah, when I started to come into having relationships with men, I started to just recognize like how much emotional pain there was there. And yeah things became difficult <laughs> and And then I started to have pretty severe body symptoms, started to get really severe period cramps and chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and started to explore you know different ways of eating, different diets. I was raw vegan for seven years. And for the first maybe year of that, I felt great. And then after that, my body really started to break down. And I think just just as I was talking about earlier, you know, that ability to tune in and listen to what the body's saying rather than to what the external is saying, I just believed so much in what these different men (laughs) were saying about this diet that I was like, no, this has to be the way even. And I wasn't noticing that my body was breaking down more and more and more. My digestion was breaking down. And it wasn't until I met my first mentor, Elizabeth Claire Burr, and started practicing yoga with her, which was different than how I had been taught to practice yoga before and very different than how yoga is typically taught in the West, which is also, you know, coming from the external, like this idea that we're supposed to like get into these particular postures and our body is supposed to look a certain, be able to move a certain way and get a certain way into these different postures, but her way of teaching yoga was to come from the inside and really feel into what what was needed from the inside. And so when I started to learn how to do that, I pretty quickly realized, you know, the damage that I was doing to my body by just implementing all these external ideas, both, you know, diet-wise and just even emotionally and and in terms of yoga. And so just started to really be able to listen and tune in to what was actually happening from the inside then i discovered somatic somatic experiencing peter levine's work and how our you know the body actually is able to physiologically both hold trauma and also physiologically move trauma out of the body so we actually don't have to carry you know these experiences that we may have had in the past with us forever you know it's actually possible to you know well i mean the story will always be there but the story can become totally neutral and can be definitely not held in the body anymore. And so when I discovered that, I was just, my whole world just started to open up. I was like, wow, okay, I can actually, and I think I've always, you know, even from when I was really young, when I was like 18 and first started hearing about yoga, I remember my friend Janelle was, had come back from India and she was like, you've got to try yoga. And I was like, what's yoga? (laughs) You know, (laughs) um, little did I know that it was become such a huge part of my life, but, um, you know, I always had the sense from even when I was very young that anything could be healed. And, you know, that's pretty extreme because, you know, consider when we look at, you know, the different things that people go through in this world, it's like really anything. But I think when I say that it's important to also recognize that healing doesn't necessarily mean what we typically think it is. It does, but it does mean being able to experience wherever we are, experience more joy more freedom, you know, a deeper sense of well-being and a a connection with our bodies. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I I did different courses and um, started to learn and understand somatic therapy. And I became, I, I did a massage course and Reiki training when I was quite young in my early 20s. And so I'd been doing massage throughout for my main source of income. And, um, so when I started to learn somatic therapy, you know, I started to sort of bring that trauma informed approach into the body work I was doing and, um, had learned craniosacral work. And so started to bring that in there as well. And yeah, slowly my work transformed and now more or less what I'm doing is somatic therapy because I've just found that, that it's been the most effective out of all the things, you know, massage is amazing. And I think it's important. But when we can actually, you know, use the physiology to move trauma out of our body, I think that is the most potent in terms of just the long term
0: effect. Mm. That's quite a journey. And I love that you were so open and willing to explore different avenues and that you found the things that really worked for you, that you were also then able to turn around and start to use in the work that you do with other people. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly
1: one of my first well not one of my first clients but one of my first somatic therapy clients when I had fully shifted my work over to doing that specifically she came from a background of of some of the most like horrific um, sexual trauma childhood trauma that you can imagine and so that really set me on the path of, of making that a focus um, healing sexual trauma I learned tons from working with her and Yeah, it's been such an incredible journey to just watch her healing. She went from needing to take quite an intensive amount of painkillers every day just to get through the day because her body had somaticized the trauma, which means when we start to have like really physical symptoms, physical pain that is connected with the trauma. And so, you know, slowly working together, we were able to move enough out of her physiology that. She wasn't needing to take pain medication anymore. And it's just been incredible watching that. And so working with her and then also just my own journey around, I think when I didn't even realize that I had sexual trauma until the Me Too movement happened. And then I was like, oh yeah, that shit that happened to me in high school, that was actually totally sexually sexual assault every single day. <laughs> and so when I realized that, it just inspired me so much more to really deepen my understanding of, How specifically that type of trauma affects our bodies and our, not just our bodies, but our, you know, our physiology and our emotional way of relating to the world and our sense of safety. And um, that really brought me into wanting to focus on that. And I do work with, you know, many other kinds of trauma, but I think that especially as women, I feel like it's almost across the board that if, even if we haven't personally experienced assault, the way that our society frames sexuality is harmful, you know, it's traumatizing. And so for most of us, there's some kind of disconnect there with being able to feel safe enough in our bodies and our sexuality. And I think that our sexuality is like the most potent, powerful. It's our life force, you know, our sexual energy is our life force. So when we can start to feel comfortable with our life force energy again, as women, then we are like powerful beyond measure, (laughs) and joyful beyond measure. You know, we feel good, right? That energy feels good when it's running through our body and it's energizing and makes us feel alive
0: and it's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. That's a beautiful description of, well, hey, an amazing client that you worked with and what an incredible result to be able to get completely off of painkillers because that is definitely one of the major issues that our society is dealing with is people being hooked on pain meds. Yeah, exactly. Also, I love that connection with really what the beautiful sexual sensual energy is all about and how life is different when you are free and you can be full of that and enjoy and have ease with that versus when you have suffered some sort of trauma whether it was personal or something that you observed or or just the sort of day-to-day constant assault on our beliefs and our feelings and water that we swim in as women quite often it just feels so dirty and uncomfortable yeah uh, exactly yeah I love that you really started to focus on helping women get out of that muck and start to regain that sense of connection to really what is an essential aspect of being a woman which is that wonderful sexual energy mm-hmm. exactly
1: Yeah. And I do just want to name here as well, in case we have any men listening and, or, you know, women who love men, um, that there's also, you know, so many men in this world who are walking around with sexual trauma and that I think in a way it's almost like harder for them because it's, it's not as socially acceptable in a way to, as a man have maybe experienced rape or, or, or trauma and so i just want to name that and like really honor those men and i i feel like as women that's a part of what can help us in a way it sounds weird and kind of backwards but in a way it can help us feel almost safer in a world to recognize in the world to recognize that like you know yeah there's men walking around who are you know who are predators but there's also so many men walking around who have experienced maybe similar kinds of violence and who are just you know working on their own healing and have these beautiful, gentle, sensitive hearts as well. And so I just want just to name that um, and honor that, that aspect of things as well, even though that's not the primary focus of my work. I think, it's, I think it's important to recognize that.
0: Well, yes, it's definitely important. And thank you for bringing that up because I mean we all have men in our lives. And just the idea that anybody is actually trying to move through life carrying the kind of burden that these experiences can leave us with is a very painful idea. And so the work that you do and the work that other people do in helping people process through all of the trauma and get to a state where they can have, I think you characterize it as a deeper sense of well-being. I love that. And and we all need that because we all get damaged in some way. Just some people end up really bearing the brunt of so much more. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about the types of work that you do and and how specifically they can help women who have experienced trauma and violence. So, you touched a little bit on the somatic therapy and the somato-emotional release. Can you go a little deeper into what that is and how exactly it works? How would you actually work with somebody?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Totally. That's great. Thank you. So. Somatic therapy, it's different than traditional talk therapy, which uses the thinking brain to sort of try to sort or figure things out. And so somatic therapy is is a body-based approach rather than a cognitive approach. Not that we don't sometimes use the, you know, the thinking brain to sort of make sense of things, but typically that would come in later, you know, once the somatic process has happened, then we'd go back and be like, oh, that was interesting and, and sort of start to make sense of things in that way. But yeah, from the somatic perspective, the body is seen as this holder of, of all memory and information. So through somatic therapy, we have this opportunity to actually update the information that's held in the body and to release the older historic trauma paths. And those trauma patterns can be both personal things we've experienced in this lifetime. Uh, they can also be ancestral. So there's been recently you know, epigenetics research that's shown, most of you have probably heard of the research around Holocaust survivors and their, their descendants, and that the descendants of Holocaust survivors actually still carry in their DNA the trauma, tag. Like, it's basically like a tag on the DNA that means that they're still carrying that trauma in their bodies. And I think that that's so powerful because I think that you know a big part of my experience of healing has been having things come through my body where I'm like, where is this from? Like, I know that I've experienced trauma in my lifetime for sure, undoubtedly. But there's things that have come through in my healing process, like, okay, this never actually happened to me, but it it's perhaps a memory of you know someone in my ancestry, either you know really recent or or really far back. And we're all carrying, you know, because of the process of colonization and um, which is maybe a whole tangent we could go off on to that we're not going to right now, but, but we're all, you know, just to say that we're all carrying in Western society trauma on some level, either personally or ancestrally. So because the somatic approach isn't necessarily based on things that we cognitively remember from this lifetime, it's based on what's in our body and what's in our DNA, we actually have the opportunity to heal on that level. So it's a very deep. And very very potent in that way, and so just in terms of how it actually works, the somatic approach it's based on coming into the body, you know, really mindfully feeling and listening to and and really witnessing the body and what's happening in the body. So it's sort of like a, an assisted self awareness practice. And you know, when we're dealing with, um, especially when we're dealing with deeper trauma or developmental trauma, uh, things that are harder one of the first things that i work with people is actually not we don't dive right into the trauma we don't dive right into like oh what's the hard stuff what we do at first is start to what we call developing the body as a resource so kind of get really getting the body on our team so starting to find the places in the body where where it feels okay you know where there's not necessarily trauma being held where it's just like oh that's actually you know my and it might be like my uh, you know, my right shoulder or my left pinky toe, actually, it feels pretty neutral, or it feels okay in that, that part of my body. And then we start to, you know, just be with that and be with that information of, oh, okay, there's some places in my body that are actually easy to be in or that are okay to be in. And then we, you know, we start to expand that out. We also develop resources in the, you know, the visual realm and kind of the imaginal realm of like, okay, where's somewhere that I feel amazing when I go there? You know, for me, it's maybe the beach, you know, getting into the ocean. I love that place. And so for me, that's a real resource. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm having a hard time, I might want to bring myself to imagining being at the beach, or I might even physically bring myself to being at the beach, right? (laughs) Which I'm so fortunate that I have the ability to do here um, on Salt Spring. But we want to really sort of like piling the room full of cushions before you wrestle. <laughs> so that makes sense. It's like really building our resources and our, you know, softening things so that we have that to lean into when we're doing the deeper work. Because if we just dive straight into what's hard and kind of swim around in it, it's not actually changing things. What changes things is when we can touch into what's hard and then come back to what's, good and what or what's okay enough what's you know present moment and then we touch into what's hard and then we come back to present moment and resource place and what that does is it actually it literally rewires the brain so our brain has that ability to touch into what's hard and then come back to being resourced which is what we want in life right we want to be able to have a hard moment whether it's past stuff or whether it's like shit that's happening right now we want to be able to have a hard moment and then come back to being resourced so it's like okay i'm yeah, that's that's hard and I can still function. I can still you know feel my breath. I can still know that everything's going to be okay. So that's a little bit about the the process of kind of, you know, coming coming into into the body. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to think about building resilience. That ability to to go somewhere hard and then come back to somewhere that is good. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Cuz that's what we're aiming for in the long run, right, is, is is just being somewhere that's that's good and that's good or that's good enough, right? Where we can be content and we can be okay and we can be, you know, eventually
0: joyful <laughs> also. Yeah. Yes. And if, if anything touches those painful pieces that we don't then spiral down and get trapped there again.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because
0: that's not what's happening
1: anymore, right? But our our physio like literally our physiology, our body, until we've processed that trauma, process that grief, our physiology actually I should say part of our physiology thinks that that stuff that happened in the past is still happening. And so our body is still responding as though it is in like a stress response. And so when we, when we update that information, oh, that's not how the body starts to actually literally learn, oh, that's not what's happening anymore. Actually, I'm here in the present moment. Then we can relax <laughs> Yeah, what we're going for.
0: So is that process the somato-emotional release process or is that something different? So somato-emotional
1: release is similar. Um, Somato-emotional release is very connected with craniosacral work. Um, It comes from that field. And so I learned somato-emotional release before I learned somatic therapy, somatic experiencing. And somato-emotional release is similar in a way, but they don't focus as much on the resourcing part on the the finding the places that feel okay that feel good enough Um it's more of a dive into releasing through the physiology and so the update on that for me the somatoemotional release I think is amazing and powerful and the update that comes from somatic therapy for me is the well one of the updates is is this place around how important resourcing is and that re- really rewiring of the brain yeah does that make sense
0: yeah it does and so I'm I'm aware and I've had some experience with craniosacral therapy. I don't know you you described it as being visionary craniosacral therapy on your website and I don't know what that specifically is and I I've never experienced anything like the somato emotional release. So I find that really fascinating. Is there anything else that you share on on that and on how those things can help women who have experienced trauma or violence?
1: Yeah, well the the craniosacral field is really vast. So that's that's one thing I'll say. It's very vast like there's so many different directions that different practitioners and different teachers have taken that work. And the premise of it is that, you know, again that trauma is held in the body and actually in the um the nervous system. And that through hands-on contact with a practitioner, we can support the the release of that simply by basically bringing in support and this idea that the, you know, the body knows what needs to release, what needs to let go. And so when it has that mindful support, the body can just release. And yeah, my experience of craniosacral has been really powerful. I think that, again, one of the the things that can come up with pe- for people who have especially developmental trauma is that the body can release, but they're they're really it's really important to have the integration process happen, and so which almost comes back to you know the that making sense of things, you know the cognitive okay so what happened here, and also you know really having the client stay in their body through the process rather than having the practitioner come from the outside and kind of facilitate the process if that makes sense. So so when I'm working with somebody if they're getting on my table it's really it's really about having them also stay in the body and be tracking what's happening in the body throughout throughout the process um, rather than just kind of being a passive recipient, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And visionary craniosacral therapy refers specifically to, that comes from Hugh Milne. And uh, he's an incredible teacher and he works with really trusting, as a practitioner, really trusting into our intuition, into what we see and feel. And again, you know, kind of the interpretation that I've taken on that is that, you know, it can be really powerful to see something or to feel something in a client and then share it with them. But what's actually more powerful that I've found and that I've learned through the somatic therapy approach is to be curious about what the client's experience is. And then how incredible is it when it's this, when they're having the same experience that, that we're as a practitioner having, if that makes sense. So we're seeing the same thing or, you know, something like that. Cause then there's a sense of like, oh yeah, we're definitely we're definitely tapping into something that's bigger than, than, than us or than typically what we, what we think is possible, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I'm curious about the integration part. What, what exactly are you integrating into what?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. So when I'm bringing two approaches, the craniosacral work and the somatic therapy you know, one of the things—I don't know if this is answering your question—but I think I think it is in a kind of roundabout way. One of the things that I find the craniosacral work really powerful for is when we have early developmental trauma. So, you know, really early childhood, especially, you know, even from the womb or you know pre and perinatal, and and in those first couple of years of life, we we aren't able to. Actually, access those memories cognitively. So, so it's only it's held in the body. It's what's called implicit implicit memory. But we can still release trauma from the body from that period of time. And so, with that approach of just being able to hold and be held, you know, as the being held through just you know gentle supportive touch that that is tuning in on that craniosacral level, which is the nervous system level. So, as a practitioner, I have an awareness of what's happening in the nervous system. Then the physiology can actually release. Because when we're when we're held, you know, as babies, as infants, when we're held in a safe way, anything that, that the body's holding onto just releases. You know, that's the natural process of, you know, baby has a, baby goes out. Well, baby doesn't go out, he's pretty much with mom, but baby has an experience, maybe. And then they, you know, they come back to mom and they they integrate that experience, right? By being just by being held and having that contact with another healthy nervous system. But oftentimes in our society, because mom is carrying trauma, um, which was, you know, my my experience as an infant, if mom is carrying trauma, then her nerve isn't actually fully healthy and isn't able to offer baby that that reflection and that that um kind of container to release into. So then baby ends up holding all these layers of, you know, never having been able to let go fully into like a health another healthy regulated nervous system by being able to just be held by someone with a you know relatively regulated nervous system healthy nervous system the body can actually let go fully perhaps for the first time sometimes and the integration piece where it's really important is that we do it one in small doses because if it's something that's happening for the first time ever we don't want to like open up somebody's nervous system really wide in a way that they haven't been open before, right? We want to do tiny little bit at a time and then have integration happen. So I think what can happen sometimes when we're just aware on the craniosacral level is we can get somebody on the table and, you know, maybe do an hour or an hour and a half of craniosacral work and have this big opening. But then somebody, the, you know, the client goes home and it's like, it's actually too much to be able to integrate. So doing tiny, you know, small doses, and then talking about it after, you know, what did that feel like? What did it, you know, what did you see? Did you see any images? Did you, what, what happened in the body? That kind of thing. And again, keeping, you know, staying present, you know, for the client to stay present in their body as they're, as they're having the experience, also really key. So yeah, does that, does that kind of answer your question around the
0: integration? Yes, it does. That gives me a much clearer picture of it. And your example with the baby is a, a really powerful one and one that I can definitely relate to since I've had four and you know, repeated experiences of something happening to them when they were little little tiny beings and come running to mom for being picked up and held and, and soothed and comforted. And, and I didn't really know that there was that connection to the nervous system. Yeah, exactly.
1: And it's so amazing because actually like they're so resilient, you know, we, we are so resilient as, as humans and especially as little ones, we're so resilient. Like, I mean, not to say that there can't be things that happen that are, that are horrific and, you know, really hard to integrate for them. But like when we have safety to come back to, we can integrate almost anything and and it's not just safety, right? It's that, it's that other healthy nervous system to come back and and literally like co-regulate with. So the the healthy nervous system that tells us, you know, it's okay, it's safe enough. We, you know, yeah, that was upsetting, but now you're safe. That allows baby's nervous system to to come back down. And and when we're born, we don't have that ability to to do that for ourselves. And so that's a, that's a base that has really a huge amount of people that have gone through the time in our society when it was like, oh, we want to take the baby away from the mom when they're born and have them you know, be independent, (laughs) learn to be independent. And um, what we recognize now is that that's not how it works. Seeing the baby's nervous system actually needs to have the mom or the primary caregiver's nervous system to actually learn how to regulate itself off of. Otherwise, we don't get that skill. And so there's a lot of people walking around who just never got that skill. And it's not just a skill, it's literally like the development of the nervous system but but we can get it even as adults we can we can receive it and and develop it and uh, you know really rewire
0: our systems so it's pretty amazing <laughs> it really is, and it it gives a lot of hope too i I really am filled with a lot more hope now than I was when we first started talking just just understanding that there are some pretty simple powerful things that can help you reach a state where you are healthier and happier and yeah
1: it's amazing cuz i have people come to me and they're like is this magic and i'm like well i know it seems like it but it's really not it's actually like totally based in science it's really our nervous system <laughs> but it is magic also you know in a way cuz it's like wow we can experience feeling well you know and feeling regulated and yeah, having that ability to, you know, have something intense happen and then come right back down
0: and not stay stuck in that sort of stress energy. So if one thing that came to mind for me while you were, while you were describing that was I'm looking back at my relationship with my husband and we have this habit, this 60 second hug habit. And I remember, you know, in the early days when we were first dating, I was definitely charging around at 110% dealing with you know issues with my teenage kids issues with my elderly mother who was going through the decline that eventually led to her death physical injury on my part menopause all that stuff so my nervous system was a mess and one of the things that drew me to Dave was that he obviously now in hindsight had a very healthy well regulated nervous system because he his arms around me and we would just stand there and it would take at least 60 seconds for me to just let go of everything that was racing around in my system. And it sounds very similar to what you're talking about that, you know, if you, if you are in that state where your nervous system is kind of going haywire and overstimulated that being held by somebody who is not in that state can really be very healing and can let you let go of the stuff that has charged you up
1: yeah exactly, and that is that is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing for sharing that story because yeah, that's actually been shown to be one of the you know if not the primary way that we heal our nervous system and that when we have developmental trauma, we actually need to be in relationship with somebody who has a healthy enough nervous system in order to develop that in ourselves. And, you know, for some people, it's so beautiful that you were able to recognize that and receive that in him. So congratulations on that. Like really, that is amazing. (laughs) And I'm so happy for you guys.
0: I was a very lucky woman.
1: Yeah. And well, Grace, you know, I would I would say you were not just lucky, but (laughs) wise (laughs) something and you recognize that, that health, right? In him. But for a lot of us who have severe developmental trauma, or maybe coming from that we don't even recognize a healthy nervous system so and we might even almost have like an opposite reaction to it when we when we feel that it's like ooh that's really unfamiliar so that must not be safe and I think I would say for myself, I think that was the case for many years as I was more drawn to nervous system other people <laughs> to nervous systems to people with nervous systems that mimicked what I grew up with and so I kept finding myself in these relationships over and over again that were just making me more dysregulated and more life, more difficult. And so it wasn't for me until I came into relationship with my mentor, Elizabeth first, and then, you know, several others who helped me to be able to co-regulate with them and reckon and start to re- rewire our, my nervous system literally by not just the actual therapeutic work that we were doing together, but by the just being together and that relationship helped me to, to rewire my system and just you know i'm happy to celebrate that just in this past year i've come into a relationship with an incredible man who has a very healthy nervous system <laughs> and we have an incredible you know relationship but it's taken it's taken time and it's taken having other people there to support me and so often i think you know for women we find ourselves like not able to find that that partner that we need and like seeking that and seeking that and you know For many of us, I think really the answer can be actually working with a therapist and, you know, like literally paying someone to hold that container for us so that our nervous system can into that and then we can start to recognize it in potential
0: partners and friends too, right? I love that because, you know, working with women who've been in domestic violence situations or have been in abusive relationships for a long time and then maybe get out of them and then end up in another one that's just the same. I hear, you know, a lot of people on the outside going, well, you know, why does she stay there? Why does she go back? Or how come she's done it again? And, and that's one of their greatest fears, too. And I think a lot of the analysis is based on, well, that's just what she's learned is normal. And it's, it's more about behavior and about how the brain works. And yeah. what you just said is like, yeah, and it's a lot deeper than that. It's what your nervous system actually has come to recognize as being the norm
1: exactly it's the yeah the physiology
0: yeah and
1: so so it can take it can take work to really consciously shift that and i think it can take having somebody in our lives who can who can really hold that that container for us of it being you know being safe enough and what's it like you know to come into a container where where it's actually safe enough where i don't have to you know fight for my
0: space for myself or you know whatever whatever it is right and it it also it it answers a question that a lot of women ask themselves and i know this because i was one of the ones that asked myself this which was what the hell is wrong with me you now why do, why can't i get out of this why do i perpetuate it and you just answered that question which is it's not that there's something wrong with you it's that your nervous system is not regulated well and you don't even know what that feels like to have a nervous system that's regulated well
1: exactly exactly yeah and this, there can be there can be so much shame around it, you know, because it's like, we're, yeah, exactly. Like you said, we were like, why can't I change this? Why can't I, you know, and, and it's, it's literally because of what's happening in the physiology. And I, you know, I know for me, when I recognized that, you know, when I, when I just got the, that education piece around, oh, this is what's happening. I was like, oh, wow. Like it's actually not me, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not me. It's not, it's not you. It's not, it's not that there's anything wrong with us, right? It's that we, we've had a certain experience that's wired our nervous system in a certain way. And so that's what we're drawn to. And that's what we're, we're magnetizing. And uh, because it's not just, it's not just that we're drawn to that. It's that, you know, other people with also a dysregulated nervous system, they're going to be drawn to us too. Right. (laughs) So, so it's not just one directional. And as we start to, you know, have a healthier nervous system, then it's like, oh, now, you know, we get recognized by the, the people who have a healthier nervous system in turn. So it's it's a, it's a very interesting process and it's very interesting to sort of take the shame piece out of it. And I think that, that that's empowering.
0: Yes, and, and you definitely answered my question of how can this kind of work help women who have experienced trauma and violence? I think that just made it really clear. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have a time constraint, so... I have two final questions for you. Great. <laughs> what one thing would you suggest for someone who has experienced violence or trauma that they can start doing today to begin that journey to healing? Hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I would say, and I think you probably tell your women this as well, but, but even if you, even if whether you do or don't, I'll say it again, because it's, it's really, really important. The first thing is that we need to get ourselves into a safe enough space. So if we've been in a domestic violence situation or, you know, even a relationship with somebody who is constantly, how do I say this, is constantly triggering our nervous system into not not feeling safe enough. And, and, you know, that's, this is a delicate one to discern because, of course, you know, any relationship that we have, we're going to be triggered sometimes, even if we're with the most amazing person, as you can probably attest to, Cynthia, <laughs> yeah, right? It's like long-term relationship. Yeah, it happens. We get triggered. But if we're constantly not feeling safe enough in our relationship or in our living situation or, you know, whatever it is, then that's not a time to dive in and do the deeper work, right? We don't want to dive into past stuff when we're just working on getting safe enough in the present moment. So, so that's the first thing is to, to set ourselves so that we're actually safe, you know, physically and, and emotionally safe enough you know, and then the second thing I would say would be finding support, getting some support so that because we can't, we're not meant to do this alone. You know, we're not, we're, we live in an isolationist culture, an isolationist society in North America. And, but we're not actually, we're not actually meant to be, you know, living alone, doing this alone and trying to heal ourselves alone, you know? And I think that there is, you know, spiritual and healing kind of teachings out there in the West that, do encourage us to do it alone. And, and I just really believe that we need, we need mentorship, we need support. And so I really, really
0: recommend finding that. Well, that's good advice. Thank you. So my final question is, how do you think that women can build their own personal power and courage? Mm,
1: how, how do I think that women can build their own personal power and courage? Oh, that's a good, that's a really good question. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny because I I actually, I think that most of the time when we actually decide to do the deeper healing work, it's not necessarily a matter of courage. I think most people who've done it will tell you that it wasn't courage. It was a (laughs) necessity. I think that, you know, we get to a place where it's like the suffering is just too great. And so we have to do something about it. We have to make a choice. And I suppose in that moment of choice, there's an element of courage. And so when we choose healing, you know, when we choose awakening, and the way I see it, you know, healing and awakening is really the same thing. <laughs> when we choose that path of, yeah, I wanna wake up, I wanna heal my nervous system, I wanna claim my birthright of being healthy and happy and you know well enough here on this earth, when we choose that, that actually starts to build our courage. Because when we make that choice and then we take the first step, it's those moments of what we're what we're then met with, you know, and there's something, there's a beautiful quote by um, oh gosh, I forget his name right now. You'll know who it is when I say it, maybe, but he basically, in summary, he says, you know, when we make the commitment, to something the whole universe moves in our favor you know everything comes up underneath us to support us when we commit and when we start to take the first step it's like there's something that happens that I don't know what it is maybe it's magic again right but it's probably scientifically explainable (laughs) we just haven't got there yet as a society but there's there's something that happens where it's like we are supported and so it's taking that step and then when we get met and it's like that positive, you know, reinforcement of, okay, okay. And choosing to see also to see those places where we are being met. So the practice of gratitude, and that's actually another one of my daily practices, daily personal practices. When we sit down at the dinner table every day, when I wake up in the morning, I tune into what am I grateful for today? What what am I grateful for today? Because another interesting nervous system fact is that we actually, our human brain wants to attune to what's not safe, right? We want to attune to what's dangerous in the environment. And that's a, you know, survival mechanism that our brains have developed over, you know, thousands of years. And so it's actually, we have to actually make it a practice to help the things that are beautiful and that are helping us, that are supporting us to stand out. And so, you know, even just waking up in the morning and if we have a glass of water, oh, this glass of water, grateful for this glass of water. I'm grateful for breath, being healthy, you know, whatever it is that we can see that and to enunciate it to ourselves. And if we can speak it to another person even better, right? I think that really helps to build, build courage and a feeling of empowerment because when we start to feel that we're taking steps and, and then the universe is responding or, you know, nature is responding, the people around us are responding. I think that it helps to build,
0: build our courage. Oh, that's beautiful. And what an amazing Place to end our conversation today. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll just say I'll
1: just add one more thing to that, which is curiosity, because you know shit still happens, right? And I think we can have this tendency to be like, oh, I'm doing, I'm taking all these steps, and then like something happens that's difficult, that's challenging, that's maybe terrible. But if we can remain curious in those moments of challenge, it's often that you know those things are happen, and then something else unfolds that wouldn't have unfolded if that thing hadn't happened, if that makes sense. So oh, to, to yeah. remain curious about what's happening in the moment.
0: Yes, that really resonates too. That's great. <laughs> Josiah Tamira Crosley, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fascinating conversation. and um, I know that when people listen to it, they're going to feel as puzzled and then as enlightened and encouraged as I have felt just being here in the moment, having the conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you're so welcome, Cynthia. And thank you so, so much for having me. So Josia, how can people keep in touch with you? And I'll put your contact info in the show notes too, but just for right now, can you just share how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website. It's Com. And so you can find out more about me and my work there. And I do offer free 20 minute pre session consults for anyone that's actually interested in doing some more work with me. I have a couple spots available right now for new clients. And I do work on Zoom. So that means we can just jump online and do, do sessions that way. You know, we obviously can't do hands on work that way. But for some people, it works amazing because you get to be on your own home and uh, we can work somatically. Quite well that way, and so if you're interested in booking a free 20 minute consult, you can email me at support at josia dot and I'd love to love to hear from you.
0: Oh, that's great! I'm sure there will definitely be some people that reach out. Thank you for listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass.
1: You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until
0: next time, embrace your inner badass.